0: Okay, Matthew chapter 5. Today we're going to kick off, um, a brand new series that we're calling the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to study, uh, what is known as the greatest sermon ever preached. Wouldn't it be cool to be, to have been there when Jesus preached? Wouldn't that be so? I mean, listen, there's been some incredible preachers in our land over the, over the years. But how many of you know there ain't no preacher like Jesus was? Amen. Ain't no sermon like Jesus sermon. Amen. Well, you know, the cool thing is we got recorded in the scripture, Jesus' sermons. And today we're going to begin a series looking at what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to take a little bit longer than we normally do in a sermon. And the Sermon on the Mount is, is you know, two, three, it's, it's five, chapter five, six and seven of Matthew. And we're going to go almost verse by verse, but we're going to go from subject to subject. And I'm not sure exactly how long it's going to take. But we'll just go until we feel like it's time to change gears and we'll change gears. Amen. But this morning, we're going to begin by talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And I just want to begin with a with an introduction. You know, the Sermon on the Mount was, um, was preached by Jesus right after he began his public ministry. You know, he had just come out of the wilderness. He went in led by the Spirit and he was tempted in the wilderness and he overcame every temptation. And the Bible says he came out of the wilderness in the power of God. And he began to do his ministry. And it wasn't long that a great crowd of people began to gather around him. And they began to follow him as he went. And so as he went along and he started his ministry, he realized that it wasn't good good enough to just to go around healing people, delivering people. He needed to teach them about the kingdom of God. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. And so we're going to begin today looking at the first two verses of the the sermon, and then we're going to go to the end of the chapter, or the end of the sermon, and look at the last verses of that sermon, okay? So if you're in your Bible, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1 says this, One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up the mountainside, and he sat down. And his disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. Now, notice Jesus went up on the mountainside. He went up on the mountainside and he sat down. And then after he sat down, there were some that gathered around him. Now, I want you to notice that there was an entire crowd that had gathered, but the Bible doesn't say that the whole crowd gathered around him. It said that the disciples sat down and heard him preach his sermon. Amen? Now, in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 28, it says that when Jesus had finished his teaching from finish or finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for the, for he taught with real authority quite unlike their teachers of religious law. In other words, when Jesus taught, there was a noticeable difference between his teaching and the ones they were used to. It was the power of God on his teaching. Amen. It was the anointing of God flowing on the words that he spoke. And then in chapter eight, verse one, it says that when he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. So he went up on the mountain. Now, when he went up to the mountain, it didn't mean like, you know, he went up to the Smoky Mountains and he had to you know had to shout way down in the valley for people to hear him they believed that the mountainside was maybe just kind of like a, a cliff like a low hill that he climbed so that he had a, a an advantage of being able to look down on those that had gathered and he could see more people and speak to more people and in his uh, the auditory of his voice was able to 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 project further and so as he went up on the mountain and he preached Um, He he delivered quite a lengthy sermon there that day. And then after he finished, he came down from the mountain. Hence why it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I want to make a couple of observations and, and make a couple of points as we begin looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Number one, first point is this. Jesus taught a targeted audience. Jesus taught a targeted audience. You know, there was, there was that great group of people, but it was only a select group that ended up sitting at his feet and listening to the sermon. And the scripture says in, in chapter one, or chapter five, verse one, one day he saw the crowds gathering. See, there was a lot of people at the foot of the hill, but there was not as many. Jesus went up on the mountainside, and when he sat down, his disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. He began to teach the disciples. So if you would notice that it wasn't all the crowd that he taught, it was just the disciples. And so it seems that although the greatest sermon ever preached was preached that day, there were many people that missed that sermon. They missed the greatest sermon that was ever preached. And here's the second point. If you want to get the full benefit of Christianity, you have to wholeheartedly follow him you got to wholeheartedly follow him. Some get to see him minister, but yet some get to hear why he ministered. There's some that get to see him do the miraculous, but there's some that get to experience the miraculous and minister in the miraculous. Amen? Come on, are you all with me? I love how Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1 reads in the message version of the Bible. It says this, when Jesus saw his ministry draw in huge crowds, he climbed a hillside and those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. And arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. Now, there's three characteristics of those who heard this, the greatest sermon ever preached. Number one, they were his apprentices. His apprentices. Which means those who were eager to learn, they were teachable, and they desired to be a student of the Lord. And then there were those that were committed, meaning they were willing to invest their time and make the effort to learn and to grow spirit. They were committed to this Christianity thing. And then there were his climbing companions, meaning they didn't allow themselves to become spiritually satisfied, but they continually hungered and thirsted for more of God. Amen? Come on, are y'all with me out there? It was his climbing companions that got to find out the whole principles of the kingdom, the wisdom behind his kingdom in operation, not the crowd, his climbing companions. Now, you know, I believe there are three kinds of people in the kingdom of God. First, they're the observers. They kind of just kind of look at the kingdom of God. And, you know, I call it the tire kickers. They kind of go around the car and kick the tires, you know. And, and some people do that with Christianity. And they kind of kick the tires of Christianity. All they do is just observe Christianity. And then there's some that are the recipients, I call them. And those are the ones that they don't come around just to observe. They come to receive from the kingdom of God. Come on, how many of you don't want to be an observer? You want to be a receiver in the kingdom of God. But then there's a third group, and I call them the producers. The producers, these are the ones that are not satisfied with being an observer or just being a recipient. They want to multiply the kingdom of God. They want to see the kingdom of God advance. Amen. They want to see how the Lord wants them to live and walk in the kingdom of God because they believe the kingdom of God needs to continue to advance in the world around them. Now, I think God is looking for producers in the kingdom of God. Amen? How many of you want to be a producer in the kingdom of God? Listen, the producers in the kingdom of God is not the crowd. It's the climbing companions. The Lord is looking for climbing companions. Those who are not satisfied with the status quo, they're not satisfied with just kind of just being in the midst of the crowd. They want to know the truth, and they want the revelation of God's kingdom. Amen? Amen? Now here's a third point. The third point is this. Jesus had a specific purpose for preaching this sermon. How many of you know he was intentional in what he was trying to do? He didn't, he didn't mince words and he didn't waste time. He wasn't just talking just to hear himself talk. He was the Messiah. He was the Savior. He was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And whenever he spoke, there was weight, there was value, there was grace behind what he spoke. Amen. And so, you know, there in Matthew chapter 7, at the, end of the, at the end of the sermon, he concludes this great sermon with, I believe, kind of revealing the purpose of the whole sermon. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24, it says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds his house on solid rock. Though the rains come in torrents and flooded waters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse Because it's built on the bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish like a person who builds a house on the sand. And when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Now, you know, the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount, I believe, is two things. Number one, first of all, I believe that Jesus was trying to build a solid foundation for his followers to build their life on. How many of you know the foundation of your life is very important? That's why family is so important. Because it establishes a foundation. That's why it's not just good enough to come pray a prayer at church. You gotta keep going with God and build a foundation. Why? Because the foundation determines the potential of the building. The better the foundation, the better the potential for the, for the strength and the, and the, and the blessing of that building. And listen, the Lord don't want his people to be shaky. He wants us to be solid. He wants us to reach our destiny and our potential in the Lord. But the only way we'll reach that, saints of God, is we got to have a solid foundation. Amen? A solid foundation. In verse 24 in Matthew 7, he says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds his house on solid rock. How many of you know following Jesus' teaching? He's saying, listen, what I'm about to teach you in this sermon, or what i rather just taught you in this sermon, if you will listen and apply and heed these words that I'm telling you, you're going to be like a man who built his house on a rock. You're going to be solid. You're going to be able to reach your destiny and your potential. It will allow you to build a successful and satisfying life if you get your foundation in a place. How many of you would agree that if you don't have a proper foundation in your life, it's just a matter of time where everything comes crashing down? Amen? How many of you know you can build a foundation on with worldly resources, with worldly building materials, and it's just a matter of time? It's going to come crashing down. You know, just recently, Facebook went, went public, and it was supposed to be worth billions and billions of dollars. And then all of a sudden, as it came, now they're not sure what it's worth. You know, that's the way the life is of somebody that builds on the world's resources and and the world's things, amen? It's just a matter of time where it just comes crumbling down. But when you build your life on the foundation of the principles and precepts of the Lord, it's going to stand the test of time, amen? Now, the second purpose, I believe, that Jesus preached this sermon was to equip people to endure life's greatest storms, Life's greatest storms. Matthew 7, 25 says this. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on the bedrock. It's built on the bedrock. Applying the teaching that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount will not only position you to receive his favor and his blessings, but it'll provide you what you need to sustain his blessings and his resources. It equips you to continue to live a blessed life. How many of you know that sometimes when you go through trials and tribulations and storms in life, it can totally erode the foundation of your life and you can find yourself way out in a desert somewhere. But Jesus says, listen, if you will apply what I'm trying to give you and you will heed it and you will follow it and you will cause your life to to track after it, you're going to build your life on a strong foundation and it don't matter what kind of winds and waves you endure, how dark and deep the trials and tribulations of your life, you're going to be okay, you won't be shaken, you won't be moved, you're going to still be in a position of getting blessed and receive the favor of God. That's the kind of life I want to live. What about you? Amen. When Jesus said in John 10.10 he said listen, the thief comes to kill steal and destroy. How many of you know you're going to have tribulation in this world. You're going to have trials in this world. There's no way to get around it until you leave this world. You're going to have it. But he said listen, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Despite the fact there's a thief trying to steal your life from you. Amen. You know this past week you know, did I mention Ms. Jean? Did I mention her? Ms. Jean Alamah. She's, whenever Tanya's uh, parents and myself, we first started coming to church here, you know, man, almost like 28 years ago, something like that. Jean had just started coming. We were in Bible study together. She's been in this church a long time. She's been a strong, she's been working on her foundation a long time. And, you know, she was, she had, she had bone cancer, and those of you that know a little bit about that, it creates a lot of pain in the body. And Jean was under tremendous pain, and her and her niece, Lori, was just crying as she was just witnessing this. And, of course, she was grieving knowing that she was about to, to, to lose her hand. But, you know, Jean had the strength and the courage to look at Lori and say, Lori, don't cry for me. I'm good. And you're going to be all right. The Lord is going to help you. It's okay. What in the world? How can somebody that is in the very last days and breaths of life, in the darkest clouds that somebody could ever endure in their life, have the strength and the tenacity to be encouraging somebody else? I tell you, it's building that foundation in the Lord. Amen. It's building that foundation and the principles and precepts of the Lord. So when you go through the darkest trial of your life, you won't be shaken. You won't be moved. It's amazing the strength that she had, but she built on the foundation. Now, listen, Jean didn't get healed on this side and she was believing for her healing. But how many of you know she's healed now? Amen. She's healed now. You know, she suffered greatly. In those last days of her life. But how many of you know she's not suffering anymore? She's all right. Amen. She's a good. Her foundations carried her through that trial. The Bible says in Romans eight eighteen, I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. Amen. Hey, she suffered for a few days here on the earth, but for all of the eternity, she's going to be living on the streets of God. Amen. All of eternity. She's going to be blessed of the Lord. Now. First John five and four says for every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. Listen, you know what? The stronger the foundation of our faith, the greater our life of blessing and greater the level of victory in our life. The stronger your foundation the better position you are to get blessed of God. I'm not talking about temporary blessing. I'm not talking about just worldly wealth. I'm talking about the blessings that really count. Amen? Come on, those things you can't buy with your dollars and cents. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. The greater your foundation, the stronger your faith, the greater your level of blessing and victory. Amen? That's why it's important that we just don't settle for hanging around the crowd. We need to start climbing the mountain, brothers and sisters, because there's, there's something waiting for us as we climb the hill with the Lord that you're not going to receive in the valley in the crowd. Amen? Come on. How many of you want to be a climbing companion? A climb, Lord. Help us to be climbing companions. Amen? Now, the blessed life all begins with having the right attitude. How many of you know your attitude is everything? Your attitude is everything. Somebody said, you know, your attitude determines how high you go in life or how low you go in life. Your attitude determines your altitude. And, you know, in the opening verses of this sermon, Jesus deals with attitude. The very opening remarks of the sermon in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 2, he says this. He says, he opened his mouth and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for, for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be... Called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Blessed are you when they insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the way they persecuted, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets. Who were before you? Now listen. Nine times in nine verses, Jesus says, "Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man that has these attitudes. Blessed is the one who embraces these attitudes." And then he goes on and he talks about. You know, they called the B attitudes. These are the B attitudes. And so in eight attitudes, he he shares right there, four of them dealing with our relationship with God, four of them dealing with our relationship with people. And he says, if you will possess these attitudes, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be happy. Hugh Downs said this, a happy and blessed person is not a person with a certain set of circumstances, but rather a person with a certain set of attitudes. A blessed person, It's not a person with a certain set of circumstances. It's a person with a certain set of attitudes. And so Jesus said nothing about blessed is the man who's got the perfect circumstances. He said, blessed is the man who has these attitudes. Blessed actually means to be happy and fortunate. And being in a place and a position to receive favor from God. How many of you like to receive favor from God? You know, this is kind of like an IQ test. How many of you want God's blessing on your life? Can anybody say they don't want it? If they do, we need to pray for them for inner healing. Amen. So Jesus says, he begins this sermon, says, you need these attitudes. And he gives us eight ways to be in a position to be blessed and receive favor from God. So you see, who's he talking to? The climbing companions. The crowd was somewhere, never even heard what he said. But he's now giving them the keys. He's showing them how to tap into the kingdom of God. And he begins, he begins the first attitude that he begins and he shares with them. The first words out of his mouth is the attitude of dependence on God. And he says in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, the key to receiving the power and provisions of the Lord is to be poor in spirit. The main, the main thing to benefit from the rest of what he's going to share is this one principle, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, poor in spirit doesn't mean you have to be physically uh, needy and live in poverty. Is that right? I mean, that's not what he's saying. you gotta, you got to be in poverty to be blessed. Well, Abraham was rich, and he was the father of the faith. David was was a mighty king. He was blessed beyond means. Joseph had the had the control and had the the, uh oversight over all the he had the biggest pantry there ever been. He was blessed of God, amen. And he wasn't poor. Poor in spirit refers to being in a place of spiritual poverty. Recognizing your need for God's mercy and grace. You know, it's the picture of poor, blessed are the poor It's a picture of the beggar that you see on the street that, please, sir, please, please help me. Please give me, just give me a couple of dollars so I can go buy me a burger or, you know, it's that, it's, that's the picture. And he says, blessed are those as a poor beggar relies on others and, and trust other people to supply for their needs. That's the that's the principle God is trying to tell us. If you want to be blessed, if you want to be favored, if you want to enjoy my resources, get yourself in a position you're like a beggar and realizing that you can't rely on yourself and you can't rely on others, you desperately need God to come through. You need God's help. Come on, how many of you feel desperate this morning? That's what he's talking about. A man poor in spirit relies on God and puts his total confidence and trust in God to meet his needs and his life. The first attitude we possess, we need to possess to enjoy a life of God, a life of favor and blessing in God, is an attitude of dependence on God. An attitude of dependence. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you poor in spirit? Are you poor in spirit? Which means... Do you rely, depend, and trust on God to provide for your needs, or do you rely on yourself, or do you rely on others? See, that's the question today. In Jeremiah 17 and verse seven, it says, "This blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Blessed is the man." Oh, I need some money. I'm a call. Do you call on God? Who do you lean on? I tell you, the Bible says, curse is the man who relies on the flesh. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. See, God's saying, listen, don't make yourself or others the idol in your life that you're leaning on, depending on. You need to develop your dependence on God. Amen? And he says, by the way, if you want to know who's going to get blessed around here, blessed are those who trust in God. Amen? How many of you want to be blessed? Amen. So listen, did you know that we can determine the level of favor and blessing we receive from God? Say, no, God is fair, Todd. Yes, he is. He's fair enough to bless those that pursue him with all their heart. And he's fair enough not to give that same blessing to everybody, regardless of what kind of life they live. Come on, are y'all with me out here? Are y'all following me out here? So you see the climbing companions got to hear this sermon and find out some keys to this thing that those in the valley never learn. So remember it's our flesh, it's a natural tendency not to depend on God. You know it's easy to say, man, we need to depend on God. But you know what? Everything in us don't want to depend on God. You know, that that didn't go over well at the first service either. Let me say it a different way. Everything in me does not want to depend on God. Everything in me would rather rely on what I can do and what I can see rather than depend on God. It's my natural tendency to depend on myself and others rather than God. And you know what? Can I share a secret with you? It's yours too. It's yours too. It's our human nature. Now, obviously some have a better uh, handle on this than others, but it's our natural tendency. Galatians 5.17 says, The flesh sets itself against the desires of the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, for these in opposition to one another so that you might not do the things that you please. Our flesh don't want to submit or turn or rely on God. That's, isn't that the truth? If that's the truth, say amen. All right, that makes me feel better. Matthew 26, 41. Jesus said, the spirit is willing. Yes, it is. But the flesh is weak. And that's the truth, isn't it? I mean, I could stand up here and preach this sermon like, you know, I know it inside and out and be relying totally on myself. Right after I get down from here. Is that right? God help us. Come on, how many of you need God to help you? God help. Listen, depending on God, does not come and will not come naturally. We need to cultivate a dependence on God. Let, let, me, let me talk to you today. You say, well, Todd, I'm not like, you know, you kind of radical. You kind of, you know, some of y'all out there, y'all just kind of crazy. I, can I encourage you to get crazy for the Lord? Why? You know, listen, not, not weird. Don't get weird. Depend on God. Come on. You don't have to shout to depend on God. You don't have to hit the ceiling with your jump to depend on God. It's where your heart's at. Amen. Come on. It's where your heart's at. Amen. You'd be the quietest one in here, but totally depending on God. You can be like Hannah. Hannah where she was crying out to God, and they thought she was drunk. They thought there was something wrong with her because she was pouring her heart out to God. She was depending on God, and i tell you what. She was barren, but she had a child. She had fruitfulness because she depended on God. Amen. Amen. i tell you where fruitfulness comes. It comes from depending on God. The more we depend on God, the greater favor and blessing will be in our life. Amen. But it's our natural tendency not to depend on God. we got to cultivate... We have to cultivate a dependency on God. Every one of us has to cultivate this. Amen? So how do you do that? The greatest discipline is cultivating dependency on God. 1 Timothy 4, 8, 9 says, Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. Now, some of you just looked at that scripture and said, you see that? Physical training is good. One version says it profits little. Amen. That's why I don't do that treadmill and just go in the gym. I mean, it profits a little bit. Amen. I knew there was a verse for that. Amen. Come on. It doesn't say it doesn't profit at all. How many of you know it's easier to serve God if you got strength and you got breath? When? You know, you could climb the mountain and not pass out on the way. Amen? But he says, listen, physical training profits a little bit, but spiritual training profits more. Because it promises a blessing, not just in this life, but in the life to come. Amen? And so, three ways to cultivate a greater dependence on God. It's not going to be like earth shattering. But you know what? Sometimes we overlook the really simple things And we get away from the basics and we leave the blessing on the table. Let's hold up. Let's cultivate a dependence of God. How do you do that? Develop the habit of reading and meditating on the Word of God. The Bible says in Psalm 1 and 1, how blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. Wow. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does shall prosper. How blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You know what? Whenever I read that, I think, you know, how blessed is the man who don't look for the daily advertiser to give them what they need? Or give them some philosophical uh, twist on life to get what they... Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, but his delight is in his heart is for the law of the Lord. That man will be blessed. He will be like a tree planted by the streams of water. Amen? I mean, you can find out what's going on around town by looking at the news you, you can find out what's going on around the world by looking at CNN. But i tell you, that's not going to cause you to be blessed. What's going to cause you to be blessed is to find out what the good book talks about. And you begin applying and walking by what it says. You will be a blessed man, a woman of God. Amen. Amen? And so not only developing the habit of reading and meditating on the word, but developing the priority of spending time in prayer. You know, somebody said a week without prayer makes one week. A week, W-E-E-K, without prayer makes one week, W-E-A-K. And so Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. Whenever we make a priority of spending time, Jesus said, listen, I'm, I, listen, I'm the vine, you are a branch. And if you don't stay connected to me, there's not going to be much blessing fruit on the end of your life. But if you stay connected to me, you're going to be fruitful. You're going to be like that tree. Amen. So we need to spend time in prayer. Say, well, Todd, I don't know how to pray like these long. Don't worry about it. You could just say, Jesus. Close your eyes, bow your head, get quiet, and say, Jesus. Amen. Now, you know what? The Lord is so incredibly wise. He will translate that to you saying, Lord, I desperately need your help. Come help me. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Come on. Are y'all with me out there? So don't worry about what you know how to say. Or don't know how to say. Just get before God and in your heart with your will. Just lean on him and say, Lord, I can't keep it together. I don't know how to survive. I need your help. And I'll tell you what's going to happen. All of the resources of heaven's coming to your aid. Amen. Is that true, saints? Yes, it is. Amen. So why would we tap into that resource? we got to cultivate a dependence on God. Before you call somebody and ask them to help you, get on your knees and ask God to help you. Amen? Amen? All right. The third way to develop a dependency on God is to pursue a life of obedience to God. You know, Matthew 7, 24, remember, whenever he was telling the end of his sermon, he said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Not just listening, follow it is wise person who builds a house like a person who builds a house on solid rock. So he says, listen, you've been here for a while now. You're probably getting a little tired. And you're probably wondering when this sermon's going to end. This is the end. But let me tell you, all that that I just told you, it's not going to benefit you at all unless you go out and do what I just told you. Amen? Do you know you just wasted 45, 50 minutes of your life? If you don't take what I just told you, And make application in your life. Amen? Are y'all with me? And so we have to make application. And, and you know, a willingness and an effort to obey his word is an indication that you are relying and depending on the Lord. Now, pride says, I ain't doing it because you said it. Just because you said to do that, I ain't doing it. Don't tell me what to do. Who do you think you are? I know nobody in this room would say that, but, you know, some, somebody out there. But come on, what is that? What is that attitude? That's the attitude God blesses. I don't need any help. I can do this. Well, you can do it up to a certain point. You can build a house on sand. It looks like that house that's on that rock. But one day, the wind is going to start blowing. One day, the waves are going to start crashing. Jesus said in this world, you're going to have storms. You're going to have tribulation. Listen, whenever the winds start blowing, when the hurricane hits, it's not the time to get hurricane ready. The time to prepare for the storms that Jesus said are inevitable inevitable, are before they come. Amen? See, Gene Alma. Man, how could she make it through there? You know, her mama said she she carried a little book with her everywhere she went. I said, Miss Miss uh, Miss uh, Miss Alamo, where's that book? And she said, well, It's around here somewhere. She found that little book, and it was a bunch of scriptures, bunch of bunch of scriptures, promises of God's word, and she was holding on to the rock of God's word. Amen. To the last, I got, went to her bedside Monday whenever they call me and tell me that she was close, you know, and, and so I said, I said, Miss Jean, are you weak? She said, mm It's like, oh, I repent for being, you know, to just weaken your faith. Let's pray. And just started praying and she lifted her hand and started praising God. This was Monday on Friday. She went to be with the Lord. How in the world can you still praise God when your body is wrecked with cancer and bone pain and still reach out and have hope in the Lord? It's the foundation that she built. It's the stability she had in her life. She was a climbing companion. Can I encourage you today? Don't hang out with a crowd. Come on, put on your hiking boots and start climbing with the Lord that's where the blessings are. Amen. Yes, indeed. Amen. In John eight thirty one. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful in my teachings. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You know, whenever you're willing to trying to obey the word of God, what are you saying? You're saying, Lord, I believe that your way is wiser than my way or other people's way. And so I'm going to try to take what you taught and I'm going to try my best to live by that because I'm depending on you to get me through this thing. Amen? So how do you know if you developed a a poor in spirit attitude? How do you know that? Well, there's three ways to know. Have you developed a habit of reading and meditating on the Word of God? How many of you know that? That's not like, you, you can know the Bible backwards and forwards and still be a heathen first class. Still be, you know, no good to the core. But how many of you know, blessed are those who walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, but who delight in the law of the Lord. See, the difference between the one that knows the word and don't and don't have get anywhere close to what it says are those that are just reading the Bible for knowledge and not reading the Bible for transformation. We've got to read the Bible for transformation. Amen? And then, you know, another question to ask is, have you developed the priority of spending time in prayer? It's a good indication of whether you're developing a dependency on prayer, uh, on God. And are you pursuing a life of obedience? Are you trying your best to do what God says to do? This is, this is one way. You know, the greatest challenge in our life would be to develop a dependence on God. Amen? It's hard, isn't it? I mean, you could be doing good this week and next week, the wheels come off the wagon. Right? I mean, you can be doing good for a year and the wheels come off the wagon. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do in your life. But you know what? It's the most beneficial and the most rewarding thing you'll ever do. Amen? When Jesus sat down and his disciples got around him, the first thing he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who rely on trust, depend, lean on the Lord for their help. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? and Let's close in prayer. I got some bad news for you. You can't do this without God's help. You you know, Jesus, somebody said the Beatitudes are like a schoolmaster. They make you realize you can't do, you can't live the Christian life without God in your life, amen? And so, you know, you can't, how many of you know, you can't do it without God's help, as good as your intentions might be. You got to have the grace of God flowing in your life. Amen. You can't enjoy the blessings of God's kingdom without God helping you along the way. Amen. You know, there was a religious leader, and he said, uh, Lord, hey, how do you how do you tap into this kingdom stuff? And Jesus said, he, He was a religious leader asking this question. He came to Jesus by nights. He didn't want, he wanted to make sure nobody. Saw him being in a place of vulnerability and asking the Lord for help. And Jesus said this He said, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. You can't live the Christian life without the Spirit of God inside of you. You can't live the Christian life without the scales, spiritual scales taken off your eyes. The only way you can live the Christian life is to be born again, Jesus said. That's realizing that you've blown it, you've made, you've made terrible errors, you've, you failed miserably at trying to live the life that God wanted you to live and you need God's forgiveness and you need God's help. Amen. That's the beginning Stage. That's the first step of depending on God for your salvation, for your eternity. And then from there, God takes you and moves you on from glory to glory, from blessing to blessing. Would you bow with me and let's pray. You might be here today and you say, Todd, would you pray that prayer for me? I, I don't know for sure that I'm a Christian. I don't know for sure that I've ever asked the Lord uh, to, to forgive my sins and, and to give me the power to live the Christian life. But I don't want to leave here today without depending on God for that. I need your prayer. Would you pray for me? If that's you, just raise your hand so I can see that somebody needs that prayer today come on just bow your heads and we all going to pray together and this is as humbly and as reverently as you can say Lord Jesus please forgive me for all the wrongs that I've done I'm sorry Lord for depending on myself and for depending on others to meet the needs in my life I repent and ask your forgiveness Lord Jesus I invite you to come into my life And take charge. Take control of my life. Help me, Lord, to live the Christian life. I want to build my life on the rock of your salvation. Thank you, Father, for accepting me into your family. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, now, for the rest of us, we got to go out there. And, and apply it, right? The work just gets started, you know? But how many of you know that it's worth it, making the investment? Listen, listen. Just take a few minutes. Read your Bible. Close your eyes. Bow your head before you get going in the day. While you're driving to work, Lord, help me develop a dependence on God. Do your best, Lord. I want to live in a way that's pleasing to you. And God is going to reward you handsomely for that. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your favor, your blessing, your grace over this congregation today. I pray in Jesus mighty name and everybody shouted and said, amen. Amen.